As the Hollywood cliche goes, poised coital, some of us sit back against the headboard, proud of our accomplishment at gratifying our lover, spouse, or one-night stand, and then light up a cigarette. How was it for you? Good enough, you surmise, as you take a well-earned drag? Or are you the kind of person to roll over in an instant, perhaps leaving your bedfellow exasperated and hardly ready to catch some Z's? Or perhaps you spare just a moment reposing, and then compose yourself and start again? Do you cuddle up? Have a chat? Talk about deep things? Or even request a favor of your lover? According to research, these are all common. But what happens to our bodies during and after sex? That's what we'll find out today. In this episode of the Infographic Show, what happens to your body while you are having sex? Today we'll talk about what happens to both men and women having heterosexual sex, and when we say sex, we mean intercourse, lovemaking, copulation, fornication, or as the Brits say, having it off. So, let's start with the man. What happens to him? At some point during sex, men reach a point of no return. This is sometimes called ejaculatory inevitability. Pulse rate and blood pressure rise, the sperm leaves him, and his penis has contractions. Now he can return to resting and let his body calm down, which apparently happens faster for men than women. The penis becomes flaccid, and most men will have to wait some time before they can go at it again, but it all depends on age, fitness, and of course the urge to return to the hearth of passion. Some guys at this point will just want to go to sleep. Is this plain rude, or is it a biological necessity? Well, listen up disgruntled women. Science says it's natural for men to want to sleep, and for various reasons. Notwithstanding the obvious, in that it's often nighttime and tiredness might be normal, another reason is because upon reaching orgasm, men release lots of pent-up anxiety. So do women, and they might feel tired too, but it seems men sleep more after sex, according to research. Another thing is brain chemistry. All these chemicals spill out in the brain when men ejaculate, including serotonin, oxytocin, norepinephrine, vasopressin, and nitric oxide. Some of these chemicals are related to de-stressing and the readiness to sleep. This can lead to that feeling of, phew, and then men want to relax just as they would after any strenuous exercise. It's kind of like getting a hit of morphine, and apparently that hit is much stronger when having sex than when masturbating. One doctor puts it like this when talking about the release of chemicals. They give you a very relaxed feeling, slow down your brainwaves and cerebral functioning, and make you feel pleasantly tired. But it's thought the hormone that is released called prolactin is the main reason men want to sleep. It gives you satisfaction, and the less of it you have, the more likely you will go for round two quicker. Really satisfied men may just turn over and start to snore. Another thing is, is that he might want to go for a pee. The reason? It's chemicals again. Oxytocin and prolactin affect the kidneys, and this makes him run off to the bathroom. Some experts also think it's to clean the urethra from bacteria, a kind of natural need. It might also just be because he's been holding it in during all that messing around. He then finds the pee won't come out. That is normal, because for the sperm to come out, your internal sphincter muscle clamps, and this is to close the bladder. This is to stop the semen from entering the bladder. In a recent article in Cosmopolitan magazine, it was suggested that men who want to cuddle are keepers, but it also says that men who don't might just be succumbing to their own body's demands. You might find that your penis feels a bit sore, but this is just normal after all that contracting. Don't worry, it shouldn't last long. And don't be shocked if your testicles have shrunk, because this is normal too. A doctor talking to Men's Health magazine explained it like this. When you ejaculate, the cremister muscle contracts and brings your testicles up closer to your body, giving you the perception that they're smaller. Lastly, you may get a cramp in the toe. Apparently this happens a lot, but it's just because orgasm causes stimulation in the nerves, especially S1 in the spinal column, and that nerve affects the toes. If you look at some research, it also says some men's moods change dramatically after sex, but given the release of all that tension, and all those chemicals flooding out, that's not so surprising. 
Some men have reported feeling emotionally handicapped after a great orgasm, and that's thought to be because huge amounts of dopamine were released. It's like coming down from a drug that makes you feel happy or ecstatic. In women, the feelings can be similar, as we shall see. So, what about postcoital women? Well, women may not always orgasm. According to an article in Psychology Today, which cited a number of studies, around half of women will regularly orgasm during intercourse, about 20% of women rarely orgasm, 20% consistently orgasm, and 5% never orgasm. When they do, it's different from a man's one great push to the sun, as women have what has been called rapid rhythmic contractions. This can be quite the event, and some women certainly show this in their face, sometimes looking like they've had an ecstatic experience. These shockwaves go through her genitals, her anus, her uterus, and her pelvis, and she too will have a magnificent rush of chemicals flooding through her brain. She may experience female ejaculation, which is when a milky liquid will come out of her urethra. Don't worry women, there's nothing wrong with this. But what about when a lot of liquid comes out? A neurophysiologist from Rutgers University in Newark says it's not the same milky stuff if it comes out in large amounts. In that case, she says, it is urine diluted with substances from the female prostate. Scientists are still not clear as to why some women do this and others don't, but it's certainly not harmful. So, why are women often up for a chat about tomorrow's activities or the meaning of life while some men are already halfway to La La Land? According to a study in the Netherlands undertaken in 2005, women are more focused than men during sex, their minds completely set to the task of reaching orgasm. This is because their amygdala and hippocampus, which regulate feelings, kind of turns off. They are at one with sex, well, at least if they are fully immersed in it. Once we've come, we return to our bodies, our consciousness recalibrates, and our emotional intelligence returns, said an article in Bustle about this phenomenon. But after sex, they switch back. And it's then they get that lovely hit of oxytocin, sometimes called the cuddle chemical. One study found that people with high levels of testosterone release less of this after sex, and men generally have high levels. Some women do too, of course, just not as much. So men, next time you turn over, blame your lack of oxytocin. And women may not experience a refractory period at all. This is the downtime men need to get ready to do it again. Note, teenagers may not need much downtime, but then again, sex doesn't always last that long for these hyper-carnal kids. Women are multi-orgasmic, and they usually could just start again. But be careful there, women, because sex can be more painful for you than it can be for men. Women might cramp up in the uterus, and this is due to the cuddle drug, oxytocin. Let's now call that the double-edged sword chemical. There might also be some burning because of the vaginal tissues getting dry, but lubrication can help. The stinging doesn't mean there is a problem, but obviously if it persists longer than a day or two, it might be something else. And if men see shrinkage, then women see the opposite. In their breasts, at least. Many women's breasts get bigger after sex, and in some women, by as much as 25%. According to Women's Health magazine, just how swollen the breasts become differs from woman to woman. The same article also said a woman's clitoris will become very small at point of orgasm, almost disappearing. At the same time, women's nipples may become more sensitive, but this is very natural. Other reports say some women become giddy after sex, and others feel great confidence, seeing their bodies as much more attractive than before. Most reports we can find state that while some women may experience a slump after the sex, it's the men that really suffer from depression, sometimes a week long. But as the saying goes, what goes up must come down, and most of the time, it's worth the ride. 
Sex is everywhere. It's in the news, in the YouTube videos you watch, and practically every television show or movie you've ever seen. But what happens if you never have sex? Would you explode? Would you die? The answer might surprise you. Having sex definitely provides physical and mental health benefits for the participants, so it goes without saying that if you never have sex, you miss out on some of these advantages. Then again, if you've never had sex, you wouldn't actually know what you're missing in terms of pleasurable sensations. But even if you don't know what you're missing, your body does. It's important to remember that everyone is unique and everyone's body will react in different ways. But let's look at some common physical and mental side effects of never having sex. First, we'll look at the physical ramifications to the body if someone never has sex. There are a lot of misconceptions about what'll happen to your body from lack of sex, which we'll debunk later. But the truth may be even scarier. Men who have regular sex and ejaculate more frequently have a lower risk of prostate cancer. This means if you never have sex as a male, you're actually at a higher risk of getting prostate cancer. The reason for this is because humans evolved, like all living things on this planet, to be reproduction machines. Whether you like sex or not, your body's main purpose is to reproduce, because that's how all living things evolved. The body needs to release old sperm in order to create newer, more viable sperm. Just like with other equipment, if the male genitalia is not frequently used, there can be problems or a breakdown in the system. It's not yet clear what the precise cause of prostate cancer is, but studies suggest that men who have frequent sex or ejaculations tend to have a lower risk. So if a male never has sex, he should be at least masturbating. This will be a common theme here, because some of the benefits of sex can also be obtained from self-release, but not all. Either way, if you're a male who never has sex, you should consider doing regular prostate checks. For females that never have sex, there are different repercussions to the body. Sex strengthens the pelvic floor muscles that support the bladder. If a female never has sex, they may find themselves with a weak bladder. This could lead to leakage or incontinence. Sex is a physical activity, and the muscles involved need a workout every now and then. If you never have sex, these muscles aren't exercised, which leads to them becoming weaker. Turns out that if females are not strengthening the muscles used during sex, it can lead to negative effects on other body systems. That being said, females can also achieve the benefits of sex from self-pleasure as well. It turns out that in humans, just simulating the act of sex can trick the body into providing many of the benefits associated with the act. Another negative effect women who never have sex may encounter is that the vagina may be drier than someone who is engaged in sexual activity. This is not necessarily a problem other than it can be uncomfortable. So if a female has never had sex and feels discomfort in her genitalia, it may be because of a lack of lubrication around the muscles and organs. Again, this problem can be solved by masturbating. At some point in their life, someone who has never had sex may want to engage in the activity. This is the case the lack of sex in previous years may hinder the carnal act. If someone has gone their whole life without having sex, it could take longer than expected for arousal to begin. This could happen because the body would be feeling all new sensations, and since they would be different than anything felt before, it could take a while for the necessary fluids to flow. This seems counterintuitive, since you would expect someone's body who has never had sex to be raring to go. However, the longer someone goes without ever having sex, the longer it takes for the body to prepare for the activity. Your body needs to create and dump hormones into the bloodstream, and then increase the blood flow to areas of the body that have never or very infrequently been used. This can take a while, especially for someone who has never had sex before. Whether someone is male or female, never having intercourse can be connected to higher blood pressure. There are several studies that show people who have regular sex tend to have lower blood pressure. Therefore, the opposite can also be true. Someone who has never had sex may have higher blood pressure than if they did have coitus. The most likely reason for this is because there is a correlation between having sex and the lowering of stress hormones in the body. If a person never has sex, those same stress hormones will be higher. Someone who has more stress tends to have higher blood pressure. This is a serious health concern a celibate person should be aware of. They should absolutely find 
find other ways to lower the stress levels and blood pressure. Like we've said before, this can be done through masturbation, but there are other options as well, such as meditation. Again, our bodies evolved to be sex machines, therefore they expect to have a release every now and then. High blood pressure would definitely be a negative side effect of never having sex, but there is something else that sex might help your body with that you weren't even aware of. Having sex, or more specifically having orgasms, has been linked to benefits to someone's immune system. Psychologists Carl Charnetsky and Francis Brennan Jr. conducted a study where they took saliva samples from people who frequently had sex and those who did not, and found some surprising results. In the patients who were having sex, their saliva contained higher concentrations of immunoglobin A, which is an antibody used to fight off the common cold. Therefore, there may be health benefits to the immune system of someone who is having sex. If this is true, then someone who has never had sex may find themselves getting sick more frequently than others. The reason for this boost in the immune system may have more to do with the close proximity to another human during sex than the act itself. So unfortunately, this boost to your immune system may not be something you can get from masturbation, since it's only a party of one. So it would seem that never having sex may have negative physical effects on the body, but what about the mental effects? Are the people who never have sex at risk of having higher mental health issues? Since everyone is different, there is no absolute definitive answer, but someone who has never had sex may be at a higher risk of certain negative mental health issues. As we've said before, the act of having sex releases certain hormones that lower stress levels in the body. This can be achieved through masturbation as well, but another important mental health benefit of sex is the feeling associated with physical intimacy, something that cannot be obtained through self-pleasure. Someone who has never had sex before may develop what psychologists call skin hunger or touch starvation. This is when lack of close physical contact results in negative mental health issues. The intimacy during sex cannot be replicated even if someone spends a lot of time around other people. The physical contact and sensations during sex are sometimes necessary. If someone has never had sex, it could cause their body to react negatively to the lack of intimacy. It would not be surprising for someone who has never had sex to feel isolated or insecure. This could be caused by an imbalance in hormones in the body due to a lack of sexual contact. The change in chemical composition of the body from sex is not just because it feels good or pleasurable, but because it's something intimate and shared between individuals. If someone who has never had sex is feeling depressed or lonely even if they're surrounded by others, it could be because their brain is craving intimacy. In these cases, we only have evolution to blame yet again. Our DNA is selfish and wants to be passed on to the next generation. Therefore, almost all of us are programmed to want to have sex. One way our body tricks us into copulating is by rewarding us not just with pleasurable physical sensations, but with mental stimulation as well. The brain of someone who has never had sex could be starved for intimacy of it. This, in turn, could cause negative side effects to mental health. So really, for someone who has never had sex, their brain begins to rebel against them. When your brain is fighting you, it's going to be a bad time. However, as mentioned before, everyone is different. Some people actually don't need to have sex at all and are still healthy and happy. This can be because of a low sex drive or that the person is asexual. The human brain is a magnificent thing and can even overcome our biological urges in some people. In others, the brain may be programmed to just not crave sex, and for these individuals, never having sex most likely comes with no side effects. There are misconceptions based around what happens to someone who has never had sex. So let's break them down. Someone may have told you that if a female doesn't have sex, their vagina closes up. Not only is this untrue, but think of how many other complications that would cause for that person other than not being able to have intercourse. A female who has never had sex will most likely have a smaller opening to the vagina than females who are more sexually active, but there's absolutely zero chance the vagina will completely close up. Even females who have never had sex still produce sex hormones, which means that although there may be discomfort or negative side effects from not having sex, they are still able to do 
so at any point during their life. What it comes down to is that everybody's body is different. Some people may choose to never have sex and can still lead a long and happy life. They may have to find other ways to mitigate some of the negative side effects such as lack of intimacy, but it can be done. We know masturbation can produce many of the positive benefits of having sex. There are some risks to never having sex such as a greater chance of prostate cancer in men and incontinence in women, but we live in a time where there are medical options to combat these negative side effects. What will happen to your body if you never have sex? It just depends on who you are. But for most of us, we'll feel discomfort, mostly in the genitalia, and we'll probably feel lonely or more stressed even if we are around other people. Sex is literally in our DNA, so although it may not be necessary, it could be hard to avoid. We've all seen countless TV shows where a patient falls into a coma. The weeping family members try everything possible to resuscitate their loved one, from standing by their side and reading them stories to playing their favorite music, all in hopes of breaking through. Unfortunately, comas are medically complicated phenomenon with different causes and effects. And despite all our advances in modern medicine, we remain mostly in the dark about how to successfully treat one. But what exactly happens to your body when you're in a coma? First, we have to be clear that comas are very different from sleep. Despite the fact that the origin of the word comes from the Greek for coma or deep sleep. Comas are not sleep, however, and are instead various forms of unconsciousness that render a person unable to respond to any external stimuli. You can play the loudest, heaviest death metal in the world right next to someone who's comatose, and you won't succeed in doing anything except really annoying the neighbors. Likewise, you can even physically hurt people in a coma, and they will remain completely oblivious and unresponsive. In times in the not-too-distant past, this was sometimes used as treatment, with doctors trying to shock their victims back into consciousness. Everything was tried, from exposing parts of the body to open flames, to severely dropping the body's temperature with ice, to even bloodletting from the head directly. One treatment even included wholly emptying the stomach. We guess because the doctors thought that if a patient got hungry enough, the body would force them to wake up. Or maybe they really were just throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at the problem, which we're sure was also tried. Comas can occur as a result of serious trauma or as a deliberate medical treatment by doctors. They are typically brought on by traumatic head injury, and it's believed that it's the brain's way of shutting down so it can focus on repairing itself. They can also, however, be brought on by a stroke or a brain tumor, drug or alcohol abuse, or an illness such as diabetes or infection. Most of the time, a coma only lasts a few weeks, though. But past this period, the patient can enter a persistent vegetative state that severely lessens their chance of ever coming back out of one. Sometimes people who recover may end up with major or minor disabilities as well, to include speech impediments, mental retardation, or problem-coordinating body movements. Medically-induced comas, meanwhile, are used when patients are at high risk of brain injury, either due to physical trauma, drug overdoses, or diseases. The purpose is to protect and control the pressure dynamics of the brain, as during injury or disease, the brain can swell up and push against the skull, which can starve some parts of the brain of oxygen. A medically-induced coma reduces the electrical activity and slows down the brain's metabolism, minimizing swelling and inflammation. There are several different types of comas, and they each differ from each other. A vegetative state means that a person's body can make physical movements such as grunts or yawns, but has no reaction to actual stimuli. The movements are purely involuntary, and sadly for loved ones seeing the body of someone you care about suddenly yawn can induce false hope. The truth is, the brain remains shut down and operating only at the most basic levels. Catatonia, on the other hand, is a complete lack of any movement or response of any kind. This is exactly as it sounds, and often catatonic patients require help from machines to breathe, 
and possibly even pump the heart. Brain death means that the higher brain functions are completely destroyed, and the brain only carries out autonomic functions such as breathing and swallowing, which are hardwired into our brain's programming. A brain-dead person has in effect no chance for recovery, and typically brain death results from extreme physical trauma or severe illness. A stupor is technically not a form of coma, but is sometimes referred to as one. This is a case of one being able to be awakened but only with considerable effort. People in stupors can often fall right back into a deep unconsciousness, but more often than not will recover on their own. The danger is if they dip so deep into unconsciousness that their autonomic functions are impaired. While in a coma your brain shows zero awareness or cognitive processing and is completely unable to respond to outside stimuli, it is in effect as if the brain has been completely turned off or is being rebooted like a computer. Except for in the most severe cases, the body will continue to breathe and the heart will continue to pump, and if you block the airway, patients can even cough as the body attempts to recover airflow. But that's about it, as the brain seems to be unable to communicate through the brainstem and the cerebrum, which controls cognitive consciousness through a process called the reticular activating system. Any doctor will admit that there's a great deal we simply don't know about the coma state. And in 2013, doctors treating an epileptic man in a coma were puzzled to find brain activity in the hippocampus. These ridges on the floor of each lateral ventricle of the brain are thought to be the center for emotion, memory, and the autonomic nervous system, meaning it's quite possible that the unconscious person was experiencing memories but little else. The doctors replicated their findings in cats, which were placed under general anesthetic, and the knowledge they gleamed may help make some comas reversible. While they don't believe that this means a coma patient with this type of mental activity or any other has any sort of awareness or ability to communicate about their condition, it is strong evidence for the fact that the brain does in fact take actions to try and repair or protect itself while in a comatose state. The rest of the body typically remains unaffected by the coma state though, with functions such as breathing and heart beating being so hardwired into our passive nervous system that we do these things literally without thought. People in a coma state though will require IVs which they are fed through and kept hydrated which are intubated with breathing tubes to maintain a clear airway, though some coma patients do retain the reflexes to swallow. The most common issue facing coma patients, though, is muscle atrophy, which comes from simply not using your muscles for prolonged periods of time. You don't need to be in a coma for this to happen, though. If you've ever been a couch potato for a few weeks at a time, then you've likely experienced the severe weakness of muscles that have atrophied from a lack of exercise. Even just getting up for a walk one day can keep your muscles from wasting away. Bed sores are another serious concern for coma patients, also known as pressure ulcers. These are common for people who are bedridden or immobile, or perhaps unable to sense pain. These happen on areas of the skin that are under pressure from lying in bed, sitting down, or wearing a tight cast for a very long time. They develop when the blood supply to the skin is cut off for more than two to three hours, and as the skin dies, the bed sore starts as a red, painful area which will eventually turn purple. If not treated, the skin will split open and the area runs the risk of infection. They can also become very deep if undetected or untreated, extending into the muscle or even the bone, and they're very slow to heal. Sometimes bed sores can take years to heal and may require surgery. The most common places bed sores form are on the buttocks area, the heels of the feet, shoulder blades, back of the head, and backs and sides of the knees. If left untreated, they can grow grotesquely large, 
If you have the stomach for it, go ahead and do a Google image search for untreated bed sores. We did, and we deeply regret it. The good news about comas is that despite what medical dramas may tell you, most people recover within a few weeks to at least some level of their previous mental capacity. However, new research and techniques is continually improving our knowledge of comas and how to treat them. And in 2017, a 35-year-old man who'd been in a vegetative state since he was 20 was entered into a state doctors call minimal consciousness by stimulating the vagus nerve. This is one of the largest nerves in the body and goes directly to the heart, lungs, upper digestive tract, and other organs. While not awake, doctors were able to have him follow objects with his eyes and even prompted looks of surprise on his face, though sadly he was unable to talk or show any sort of higher brain function. Doctors warned though that while it's a big step forward, it's far from a conclusive one because comas are as radically different from each other as those who suffer them, and what works on one individual may sadly not work on others. It's been a long time since you worked out. You had every intention of getting off your computer chair or going to the gym, but those infographic show videos are just so darn interesting. However, after we tell you what exactly exercising does to your body, you'll have all the motivation you need. First, there will be a little pain as your body tears itself apart, but over time your muscles will repair and you'll get stronger, happier, and healthier. But make sure you stay with us all the way to the end of the video because too much exercise can be a matter of life or death. You definitely want to know how much is too much and what detrimental effects over-exercising can have on your body. We're going to start with day one of working out. Whether it's been a few months since you've gone to the gym or a few years, the day you start exercising is the day your body starts to transform into the best version of itself. But this will be a long process full of ups and downs. In order to understand what's about to happen to your muscles and cells, we'll need to know what exercise does to your body. You step into the gym and take a deep breath of air filled with the smells of sweat and rubber mats. You scan the room to find an area that isn't near anyone else so you have all the space you need. You pick up some different sized weights and get to work. In between exercises, you do a little cardio. As you begin to sweat, there is a slight burn in the muscles being used, but this is normal and important process that will make you stronger. Your body shifts the flow of blood from areas like your digestive system to your skeletal muscles. Signals from the brain and hormones from your endocrine system tell your body to start converting stored sugars in fat and carbohydrates to glucose for energy production. As your muscles are put under strain, they release lactic acid that builds up and drops the pH in that area of the body. This causes cramps and muscle fatigue which cues your mind that you can't do any more reps and it's time for a break. Don't worry though, after a little rest, your body will metabolize the lactic acid and you'll be able to continue your workout. Your brain begins creating neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin that allows it to make more connections between brain cells, which aids in the movement of body parts. Without these increased connections, you'd be falling all over yourself as you tried to do burpees or a jump rope. Working out takes a lot of coordination, and it's for this reason that the brain becomes incredibly active during exercise. The harder you exercise, the faster your heart starts beating as a result of rising adrenaline levels in your body. At the same time, the capillaries and all your muscles expand, allowing for greater blood flow. This allows nutrients and oxygen to reach your cells where energy production is in overdrive. The muscles in your midsection, which allow you to breathe by causing your diaphragm to expand and contract, work even harder to bring more oxygen into your lungs. As your cells generate more and more energy and your muscles work harder than they have in a long time, your body temperature increases. Your sweat glands release fluid to help it cool down and maintain homeostasis. This is one of the reasons why you feel so thirsty as you exercise. Sweat causes the body to lose water, which can lead to dehydration, so it's important to replenish your H2O supply by drinking water throughout your workout routine. You're hoping that by the time you're done, you'll be ripped, but that's not how it works. 
After an hour of working out, you collapse from exhaustion. As you lay on the floor, your breathing begins to slow and your heart rate decreases. You try to stand up, but you can't move. Your body's still metabolizing the lactic acid that's built up in your muscles. But if you think you're sore now, just wait until the next day. When you finally manage to get your muscles working again and stand up, you realize you now feel dizzy and your reaction time is a little slow. This is natural, as the body is still trying to return its numerous functions from a high state of stress and awareness to normal levels. It takes a toll not only on the cardiovascular system, but on your nervous system as well. The heightened amount of dopamine and serotonin in your bloodstream gets used up, and fewer signals are sent to the rest of the muscles as it's time to relax. Since your last workout, your body's been busy breaking down the fibers and blood vessels in your muscles since they were not being used frequently. This is one of the reasons your muscles shrink in the month after you stop exercising. But your body doesn't just do this to make you feel weak and pathetic. The reason it breaks down muscle fibers is to help conserve energy in parts of the body that aren't being used often. Your body requires a lot of energy just to keep you alive. So anytime energy can be conserved, it takes advantage of the situation. Because of your previous lifestyle that lacked exercise, your body needs to work especially hard to get blood and nutrients where they're needed, as there just aren't many pathways and blood vessels to your muscles as there should be. And this doesn't affect the muscles in your arms and legs. Your heart and lungs have also been working much harder than they have been in a long, long time. However, even though this first workout session was brutal, everything is about to get easier, and your body will change drastically as the result of repetitive exercise. The downside is that while you were exercising, you were also tearing apart what little muscle fibers you have. They will grow back stronger and your cells will multiply, but this process is going to be painful, take time, and require a lot of energy. When you go to bed the night after your first exercise session, you might find that you fall asleep faster and sleep better than you have in a long time. This is because your body does a lot of repairs while you sleep. While energy levels are low for the parts of the body that allow you to move and remain alert, your body can focus on using its energy to repair itself. While you're fast asleep, your cells are hard at work dividing, improving fluid distribution, and restructuring your muscle fibers to aid in growth and strength. When you wake up the next day, you stare at the ceiling and pray for death as everything aches. It's natural, and it means your body's doing what it's supposed to by fixing itself while also building up your muscles. You won't see any physical changes to your body, but you will definitely feel them as aches and pains. But you're strong. You could power through it. The damage and new growth to your body happens at the microscopic level. You're likely going to be sore for several days, and the way to reduce the pain is probably not what you're expecting. You will definitely need to rest your body, but it's also important that you continue to push through the discomfort and exercise again. By keeping your muscles active, you will provide them with more blood flow and nutrients. This will aid in the restoration process. You'll also need to stretch before and after every workout session to make sure you aren't just damaging your muscles, but making them more pliable and flexible. This will help them grow and allow for a wider range of motion. If you're in severe pain and can't move after a day of exercising, you did too much and went too hard. Give your body time to recover, then try again with a less intense workout regimen once you feel better. Even after a day of exercise, your body's resting metabolic rate will increase slightly. This is because it's using more energy than normal to repair damaged muscle cells. In order to get the energy it needs, your body will pull from any stores of fats that can be broken down to produce glucose. Some studies have found that 45 minutes of intense exercise can increase your metabolism by up to 40% for 14 hours after you finish working out. But there's something incredibly unexpected that'll happen after you start exercising. Even though your body requires more energy to repair your muscles, you will actually feel a drop in your appetite. It seems counterintuitive, but it's the increase of certain hormones that help the body recover that causes appetite suppression as a side effect. 
This doesn't mean you won't feel hungry at all, it just means you might not eat as much as you normally do. This is great if you're trying to lose weight, which is why most medical professionals recommend supplementing almost all diets with exercise. The soreness, faster metabolism, and suppressed appetite will continue through your first week of exercising. But what happens after that? When can you expect to see a six-pack and biceps of steel? One week after you start working out, your body will begin to feel better overall. If you're still waking up with pain after an exercise session, it might mean you need to slow down just a bit. But after a full week of this new exercise-filled lifestyle, most of the pains and aches should subside. Not only are your muscles growing at this point, but your brain is changing as well. Researchers have found that your body releases endorphin hormones which send pleasure signals to your brain when you work out. This fundamentally changes the way you think about exercising. After a week of consistently actively working out, your brain might begin to connect the activity with receiving endorphins. This is one reason why people who exercise regularly report feeling happier after they complete their workout. But the longer you keep up your exercise routine, the more beneficial physical and mental health effects will develop, as you will later find out in this video. Unfortunately, after a week of exercising, it's unlikely you'll see any noticeable physical changes to your body. This is where people start to falter in their exercise routine. It is a difficult mental hurdle to overcome, but the long-term benefits will definitely make it worth it. Since you've been working so hard, it's only natural to want to see results, but it's just too soon for your body to have repaired and built up enough muscle for the change to be visible. However, you will feel more rested due to getting a better night's sleep, and you probably have lost a pound or two, but you were expecting more noticeable results. As long as you can push past the disappointment and finish out the first few weeks of exercising, the next things that happen to your body will most definitely be noticeable. After one month of going from a sedentary lifestyle to exercising consistently, you'll notice that your strength and stamina have improved. You might not be at your final goal yet, but you've come a long way from that first workout session. There are now more muscle cells and fibers throughout your body, which will not only make your muscles more defined, but you're probably doing more reps, lifting heavier weights, and able to lengthen your cardio routine. You'll also notice that your body takes less time to recover after workout. This is because not only are your skeletal muscles getting bigger, but your heart has become stronger as well. It allows for more blood and oxygen and nutrients to be pumped around your body more efficiently. And something even crazier is happening at the cellular level. The mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cell. It's these organelles that turn sugar and oxygen into energy. As more cells are created to allow your muscles to grow, more mitochondria are being produced in each cell. The more mitochondria you have, the more energy can be produced. This will aid in your exercise routine, as well as the growing of new cells and repairing of damaged muscle cells. Just by exercising regularly for a week, your body will feel less tired in general because your cells are more actively converting sugars to energy. Most of the strength gains you feel during your first few weeks of working out are a result of your brain being able to use your muscles more efficiently. Now that you've built up more fibers in your muscles and your brain knows what to expect during an exercise session, your balance and ability to complete your routines becomes almost second nature. Your muscles are definitely getting stronger. But up until that first month of working out consistently, it's mostly your brain using what you have more efficiently that makes each session easier. Your muscles are now able to store carbohydrates and use them as a source of energy when needed. With each good night's rest after working out for the past month, your body has grown more and more muscle fibers and blood vessels that allow for better blood flow. This increased blood flow is not just happening in your skeletal muscles but in all parts of your body. This means your heart is pumping blood more efficiently and able to recover more quickly after an intense workout. 
You might also find that your resting heart rate is lower than it was before you started your new exercise routine, which can improve blood pressure and reduce stress levels. Life is good now, your body's definitely running more efficiently, and you're starting to notice a little bit of toning in your muscles. But there's another less attractive side effect that you notice when you work out as well. You seem to be sweating more than normal. This is actually a good thing, it means your body's become better at regulating your internal temperature. The excess sweat is your body's way of thermoregulating itself, so you can go harder for longer. So embrace that salty taste of sweat as it drips from your face. It's all part of your body's plan to keep you healthy and make you stronger. Three months after you start exercising, you'll finally see the physical changes you've been waiting for. Your muscles are now more defined. The amount of stored fat you have has been reduced as your body breaks it down to repurpose the molecules into making more muscle cells and energy. Depending on what your goal is, you might actually gain weight. If you wanted to build muscle and you were already at a healthy weight, you might put on a few pounds as the larger your muscles become, the more you'll weigh. Also at this point, your brain has been programmed to look forward to and even crave your workout sessions. The positive reinforcement that comes with the endorphins released during exercise has become a normal part of your day, and if you don't work out, you oftentimes don't feel as good. This is because your brain and body still expect the influx of hormones that comes with exercising. One year after you started working out, you might barely recognize yourself. You may have started an exercise routine before, but never made it this far. A year is a long time to keep up with exercising, as life can throw a wrench in your plans, but you've done it, and your body thanks you. Your muscle strength and endurance are much higher. On top of being stronger, you'll likely be more flexible and have less back and joint pain. This is because with regular exercise, your muscle fibers have become more elastic and stronger. Exercising also has a positive impact on bone growth which is one of the reasons your joints also feel better as well. But the best part about making it this far are the things you can't see. Since your heart is stronger and more healthy, you've reduced your risk of developing heart disease and stroke. Also, since you've been maintaining a healthy weight, you're less likely to become obese or develop diseases such as type 2 diabetes. Even if you have a cheat meal every now and then, your body can handle the extra nutrients and just uses them as fuel during your next workout sessions. You shouldn't be eating fast food all the time, but a year's worth of exercise does mean you are likely able to eat more than you used to if you want to maintain a healthy weight. Research also shows that exercising regularly reduces the symptoms of stress, depression, and anxiety. This most likely has to do with an increase in certain pleasure hormones that happens as a result of working out. Also, some studies have provided evidence that exercising regularly over several years can actually cause the brain's hippocampus to grow in size. So not only are your skeletal muscles getting bigger, but your brain might be as well. However, can too much of a good thing be bad for you? Or in other words, can you overexercise? The answer to that question is yes. So, how much is too much and what can happen? Everyone is different, so the amount of exercise one person can handle might be very different than what you can handle. It's okay, it just means you need to listen to what your body's telling you. If you collapse and can't move for hours after a workout, that might mean you've overdone it. Likewise, if you're always in pain or aching after your workout, even months into exercising, it means something is wrong and you should modify your routine. But what happens to your body when you exercise too much? If you push your muscles too hard for too long, you can develop chronic muscle fatigue. Your body will feel heavy and your heart will have trouble recovering and returning to its normal rhythm. This is dangerous because too much strain on your heart can lead to a heart attack. Overworking your muscles can also lead to a rare condition called rhabdomyolysis. Your muscle fibers begin to break down and leak into your blood. If this continues, the fibers can end up in the heart and kidney, causing these major organs to fail. So, in this circumstance, overexercising can actually be fatal. Another side effect of working your body too hard is that your sleep suffers. Your body uses the time you're asleep to repair itself. 
But if there's too much damage, this can cause pain that keeps you awake. The hormones in your body might become so out of balance that it results in insomnia. If you don't sleep enough, your body can't recover, which exacerbates the problems in the healing process even further. And even when you are asleep, your body might not be able to increase blood flow or produce enough human growth hormone to repair all the damage that it's done. If you found yourself restless at night and not getting enough sleep, it might be time to dial back the exercising a bit. Experts recommend that doing high-intensity training for short periods of time might help reset the body and allow for your sleeping patterns to return to normal. Then you can ramp up your exercise regimen once again while monitoring your body to make sure you don't overdo it. But sleep deprivation from overexercising isn't the only thing throwing your internal balance out of whack. When you exercise the appropriate amount, your body uses up stress hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline that are circulating in your blood. These molecules are necessary for normal life functions. However, by exercising consistently, you're keeping them at low levels, which in turn reduces the amount of anxiety and stress you feel. The problem with overexercising is that it has the reverse effect. With too much exercise, your body is constantly being strained, which means stress hormones are dumped into your bloodstream. This can then cause stress and anxiety levels to increase drastically. Cortisol also plays a role in helping insulin regulate glucose levels in your body. However, when cortisol levels are too high, your liver continuously releases glucose, which could lead to your cells developing insulin resistance. This means glucose levels will be too high in the blood, and your body will begin storing it as fat. If insulin resistance persists, it can lead to type 2 diabetes, and all your hard work will become detrimental to your health. On top of all this, it's unlikely that your body will be able to get enough nutrients and generate enough energy to repair all the damage done to your muscles and make you stronger. So, exercising too much actually ends up making you weaker over time. If your body needs more nutrients than you can provide it with, energy production slows and you feel tired and fatigued. Nutrient deficiency connected to overexercising has been linked to numerous other side effects such as hair loss, bone pain, and vision problems. If you're experiencing any of these symptoms, it's time to drastically reduce the amount of exercise you're doing and give your body the time it needs to recover. Oh, and maybe see your doctor. You might also realize that not only does your body hurt from working out, but that you feel like you're getting sick more often. This is because overexercising can reduce the effectiveness of your immune system. This might have something to do with the body using an extreme amount of resources to repair the damage being done to your muscles. According to the Journal of Applied Physiology, your body experiences a period of immunum depression when you work out. This normally isn't a problem, but when you overwork your body, this window lasts much longer than it should, which could leave you vulnerable to infections and disease. The most important thing to know about how overexercising can affect your immune system is that the more times you push your body too hard, the longer the period that your immune system is weakened becomes. If you put yourself through an extreme workout for multiple days in a row, your immune system doesn't have time to recover, which could leave you in danger of becoming sick. Like with the other side effects of overexercising, the damage to your immune system can be reversed. But it's important to recognize that if you're exhibiting symptoms of overexercising like nutrient deficiencies, sleep deprivation, and severe pain, your immune system is also suffering, and you might find yourself with a nasty infection to go along with all those other harmful effects of too much exercise. What it comes down to is that if you're planning to start exercising regularly, you start slow and work your way up to a more difficult routine. The real damage to your body comes from doing too much too quickly. A good way to find your threshold is by starting out with some high-intensity workouts for short periods of time and seeing how your body feels. It's also important to implement some cardio, even if it's just a short jog or speed walking. 
You never want to go from doing no exercise to lifting hundreds of pounds or trying to run a marathon because your body won't be able to take it. Listen to your body and do what it's telling you. If you work out and the next day you don't feel any soreness at all, you might want to try pushing yourself a little harder. Conversely, if you work out and you can't move the next day because you're in so much pain, you probably overdid it. You should get some rest and give your body the time it needs to recover. Then dial back your workout routine a bit. Make sure you supplement your workout with healthy foods full of nutrients and vitamins to help your body repair the damage and growth of your muscles. Also, remember how important sleep is to the restoration of your body. When you begin your new workout routine, try to get to bed early and get a good night's rest since this is when your body carries out most of its repairs. And when you wake up sore the next day, just know that it's normal and you should try to push through it because the more you stretch and use your muscles, the stronger they'll become. Now watch what happens to your body when you stop drinking alcohol or check out what happens to your body after you die.